Unscripted, unshackled, uncouth. What you're about to hear is for mature ears only. It's Miguel. Ricky. Yeah. Yeah. You're a dumbass. Have a wonderful day, okay? Bye-bye now. Holly. I finally got boobs and a butt back. And Scotty the body. Am I not as cool and good-looking as I think I am? The Miguel and Holly Uncensored Podcast. No, my tongue feels too big today. Only from Hot 101.5. Give me Kit Kat or give me death. Tampa Bay's new hit music. Well, here we are. Another Miguel and Holly Uncensored Podcast. And I just got to say... Thank you to everyone that has been listening to each of the podcasts, because if you are new to Miguel and Holly Uncensored, up until March, we only did the podcast like once a week. Right. It was a once a week thing that we did. Just as like a little um, a labor of love. Right. We wanted some extra time to expand on thoughts and life scenarios that we don't have time for on the air. Right. And then during the pandemic... We said, all right, the world has changed. We're grappling with it. You're grappling with it. So let's do this daily as we're going through the emotions together. And since then, I feel like we've had like a whole new uh, contingency of uncensored listeners. Mm-hmm. Platypus, by the way, yeah, is our code word. If you ever have any, if you send us a message on Instagram or you see us out in public, you say platypus and we know that you listen to the podcast. Yeah. I just want to say thank you. Mm. To everyone that's come on and listen to the podcast outside of what we do on the air. I know. That means a lot because it's like, I don't know, we're entertaining ourselves <laughs> talking to each other. But the fact that we're all kind of having a big conversation, that's really cool. Um, I This week we've been talking about pride issues over the past couple of episodes. We talked to um, a, a trans man and his mother. Uh, we've talked to a mother of a trans kid. And we've talked to a trans person who is stealth. And so we're sort of dealing with issues in the LGBTQ community as we're leading up to what would have been St. Pete Pride this weekend. And there's someone that I wanted to have on the podcast for a while because I uh, am I admire them and I look up to them. Oh, and I watch their social media all the time. And I'm always just so impressed with how they're able to articulate their feelings and emotions that I'm not able to sometimes. And so whenever we do talk about race or LGBTQ issues, Um, I sometimes will look at his social media to sort of be like, what am I feeling? Like, I know I feel it, but I can't put into words. Okay. And sure enough, he will have written it out or shared something that perfectly articulates what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Um, He used to be a reporter here in Tampa Bay, and he moved out to L.A. a few years ago. Now has, like, an amazing podcast, uh, does on-air stuff with the LGBTQ radio station, um, just... Doing big things in LA, and I don't, I'm sure I don't even know all of it. Oh yeah, uh, but Jarrett Hill, thank you for joining us on the Uncensored Podcast. Whoever this awesome person is you're talking about wasn't available today, but I can do it. I guess <laughs> uh, today if you need me, I'm happy to stand in the gap if I can. <laughs> well, thank you so thank much you. for all that you do, and you were here in Tampa when we first started uh, in 2015, and you were on a uh, ABC Action News, right? Yes. I mean, fun fact. And I mean, I don't know if it's taboo to say this or not. No, not before at all. You came on Before you came on the air, I had actually had a conversation with the station about, like, what show was going to go in this space and was having a conversation. But, like, 
it never really developed into anything. And then you came and I was like, Oh my God, this is, he was so cool. And I was at ABC action news. And, and then I moved back to California and you've been there for years now and you're like killing it. So very, very excited for you. I, but at the, at the time I was like, I want to see what I might do in radio. And then came to LA and did some oh. stuff here in radio. So it's been very cool. Look at that. Yes, that is right? crazy. It's oh, a wow. small Isn't world. A small world. Yep. Yeah, I love that. It's a very small world. Well, we would have loved to have had you with us on the show. That would have been fun. Um, well, first off, what all are you involved in right now? Because I feel like there's probably a lot of stuff that I don't see on your social media that you do, but you have your hand sure. in a lot of different projects, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, how much time do we have? Do you believe? <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like what I do the most right now um, are a couple of things. So I host a podcast called Fans High where we uh, discuss like um, po- politics, pop culture, you know, society. Um, the things that we love, but that we have challenges with. And so it kind of gives us an outlet every week to talk about um, the difficult issues, but also sometimes the fun things that we love. So we've had shows on Kevin Hart and Tyler Perry, but we also just did a show that came out this morning that talked about the All Black Lives Matter moment um, mm. and, and why that was important. We did a show just recently on being a black journalist in the newsroom when there are so few you know, people of color um, sometimes in a newsroom. So the show is called Fanti, F-A-N-T-I, and, uh, and we have new episodes every Thursday. Uh, outside of that, I've been doing a lot of writing, um, working with different outlets, uh, most recently with Revolt and uh, Town and Country Magazine, and I'm doing something with Self Magazine and um, writing in different places and just kind of talking about what it's like to exist in this moment as a Black person, as a queer person, as a Black queer person, which is its own unique uh, <laughs> uh, lane mm-hmm. of things. Um, and so just a, a, a good amount of media, you know, uh, keeping me, me busy and keeping my calendar set. Now, and I feel like we have to say that what sort of put you on the map in a national way is... I love this story, by the way. I mean, just fantastic. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) I'm not familiar. Right? Um, (laughs) So was it almost four years ago now? We're about to run into it again this summer. Um, When you were watching uh, the Republican National Convention last year... And you noticed something a little strange. What was that? <laughs> um, well, Donald Trump wanted to be president of the United States. That was weird <laughs> to me. Um, but also, uh, I was watching the, the, the Republican National Convention, as you said, and um, I finished a sentence out loud with Melania Trump and realized how unusual and strange that was um, and immediately knew that what she was saying had been said by Michelle Obama in the years prior at another convention. And I tweeted it out um, along with a, a couple of receipts uh, and the tweet, you know, kind of exploded. I always say it's probably the best tweet I'll ever write. And, um, you know, it really changed my life and uh, made for a very interesting week uh, calling out the plagiarism of Michelle Obama. And that was four years ago. And I mean, it was everywhere. I remember watching your Insta stories at the time and you were like, I'm in the back of a cab going to this studio, to this studio, to this studio, to this studio to talk about how you had discovered that. Yeah. I mean, you're like the whistleblower. I mean, that was really amazing. It was it was really wild. Uh, The Insta stories you're talking about specifically, Miguel, I um, the next morning. Well, that night I tweeted at like eight or something like that. I don't remember what time it was, but. By the time I'd gone to bed, you know, after midnight, I had already done six interviews with like CBS and the New York Times and two BBC radio and TV. And it was like, it was crazy. 
um, in just a couple of hours. And the next morning, I thought I was going to go do this morning show here in L.A. And then I'd come home and, you know, resume looking for jobs. Um, and I uh, I ended up being on 13 different interviews that thing, that one day. And mm. so it was it really, you know, was a wild time. But um, it's, it's treated me very well. That's so awesome. I love that one tweet can just change your life just like that. Um, so I want to sort of talk about where your head is right now, because we've taken our podcast, which, uh, you know, before the pandemic, it was very like, here's the crazy stuff going on in our lives. And we sort of still weave that into it. But I feel like we've been having some very important conversations, um, about the pandemic. And then when George Floyd died, um, now leading up to what would have been St. Pete pride for us. And I, I've been saying this over the past week is that I've sort of been talking about my feelings as a gay black man um, in the media, in the South, and sort of what everything means to me. What about you in this moment? And there's no like specific question because it's like, well, which part of it do you want to unpack? Yeah, there's a I lot. Know, right? right. But like, how Absolutely. are you emotionally right now in this moment? Um, you know, I would say in this specific moment, uh, I've, I've been feeling better than I have been in weeks past. Um, I, it's been a very up and down, like there's such a cross section of things happening, right? If we consider COVID-19 alone, um, that has been a a very difficult experience to, for me personally, um, and for so many people, uh, a friend of mine who's a therapist. Um, talks about how so many of us are in survival mode um, mm. for so long, thinking about COVID, thinking about what to do in our homes and how to survive in our jobs and how to do so many different things. And then you layer on top of that, you know, uh, continued anti-Blackness uh, in policing and in the ways that it has erupted, right, and the ways that we see anti-Blackness all over this country and, and all over and throughout so many areas of our lives. Um, it's been really, really stressful. And I would say that I've never spent more time um, thinking about or being aware of my own mental health and how I'm feeling and what, I, what I'm needing in the moment. Um, I've been much more active about taking time when I need it and saying no when I want to. Um, and I also recognize like my black like cohort, if you will, um, a friends and family, I feel like one, a lot of us are feeling a lot more empowered um, to say what we've been through, what we're going through, what we're feeling, um, but also just empowered to to speak up in ways that we haven't uh, always felt empowered. Now, I will tell you, uh, I, no one has ever said that like, oh, Jared, you're so soft spoken and understated, <laughs> right? But not in my story. But um, but I feel like I've I, I feel even more uh, empowered to speak up. I feel even more uh, empowered to tell friends like. No, you need to say that, right? You need to be honest about that. You need to be truthful um, mm-hmm. with yourself and with your, your community because it's we're in a moment right now where black folks have the use that. Uh-oh. Wait a minute. To be truthful. Uh-oh. Okay, Uh-oh. okay now well, we got you. broke you up go. a little bit. There we go. All. We got you. Oh, sorry. I was saying um, it's it's important. Uh, we have we have the ear of the country, and it's important that we take this opportunity to tell our stories, to be honest, and to be open. Because if there's any kind of way that we're going to be able to break down anti-blackness or white supremacy in this country, we've got to be able to utilize this moment to do that. And I, I know before this, how vocal were you about? these sort of issues? Because I know for me, 
Um, like just for some reason, it's like everything is kismet. Recently, I've seen uh, where I maybe had watched 13th or I had watched Roots or something and it all had come out, you know, over the past couple of months where on my Facebook and my memories, it's like, ooh, look at this movie. Oh, my God. Everyone look, look, look. And then it would have like, you know, three or four likes. And then I'll go the year before that. It'll be like, here's a random picture of me at a club somewhere. And it's got a hundred and something likes. But now people are finally starting to wake up and say, oh, I want to know about the black experience. How has your audience reacted to this sort of change in tone from you? Um, It's been interesting because I feel like I am my following is growing every day in a way that it wasn't growing. Uh, I mean, it's always been growing, but not at at the pace that it's growing. Um, it's also been interesting to me to see how much white folks are interested in hearing what we have to say now. Um, the running joke, the running joke is, uh, you know, a lot of white folks are acting like black people just debuted, right? Like we just came out and it's like a new thing and like racism is brand new. You know what I mean? And it's like, no, we've, we've, we've been talking about this for a long time. Like this isn't a new conversation. Um, So that's been an interesting part of this. And, uh, you know, really also feeling, like I said earlier, empowered, um, empowered to say, you know, to go into a space and say like, this is not okay. Or, you know, let me actually point out the problem here uh, because I feel like so many people have, you know, felt cautious about speaking up about race because you don't want to be the angry black person. You don't want to be, you know, playing quote the race card and all of that stuff. But it's like, I I spoke to a a corporate group just uh, earlier this week, and uh, one of the members of the group was saying that she doesn't want to come across as an angry black woman because she's a a lesbian woman who's black with, uh, she's like darker skinned. And we know that colorism is a real thing in the way that people perceive, you know, what's coming out of people's mouths. And Mm -hmm. she was saying all of these things. And I was saying to her, like, if you come across as angry in a moment, Maybe people, maybe we need to turn that back around on the white folks in the room and ask and have them ask themselves, why is she so angry, right? Mm-hmm. Anger is rooted in pain. And if she's so angry, maybe this brought up something for her that, that you guys need to have a conversation about. So maybe flip that and say to her, you know, well, when you're ready, could we maybe have a conversation about what this triggered for you? Because I didn't, I didn't know that, you know, this was going to come up. And so I think more and more we're kind of all even more empowered and emboldened to be able to say like, this is a problem for me. And uh, I'm I'm hopeful that we will see that some change will come from it. No, I totally agree. And I I feel that too. We did a whole topic um, on the show, how I unfollowed the very first person, a listener for the very first time because of some nasty things that they were saying. Every time I was posting something about advocacy or a resource and it was a, well, you're race baiting, you're playing the race card. And it's like, no, I'm not trying to be political. I'm just saying this is my experience and this is how you can further deepen your knowledge of uh, what black people go through if you choose to do so. If not, well, we don't need to be friends on here. Then you don't need to be a part of my tribe. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I've obviously lived there in Tampa Bay for a while, and you know, I've lived in multiple cities around the country. And the idea of race baiting, right, is something that only white people are really able to use against black people. That's a, it's a unique, you know, a card, if you will, um, that you that mm. can be played. Can I but ask a question really quick? That, what is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. What does that mean? 
I don't know what race so, baiting so is. Race bait? Yeah. Race baiting is a, is, a, is a term that white people will use with black people if ever black people say something is racist or racialized or has a racial implication. And so um, oftentimes with conservative white folks, but not only, not strictly with conservative white folks, they will say, oh, you're race baiting and, and basically trying to use some kind of a, uh, a superseding card, what we might have called a Trump card more than three years ago. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Can't, <laughs> like, can't, can't use that anymore. Use a card to, exactly right. <laughs> um, but uh, you're trying to, you know, basically use like a wild card or something like that, but mm. the race card. And so it's frustrating to black folks because it's like, no, 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 like, we didn't even create the race card, right? Like, mm. we didn't make this issue. We didn't create the situation or the scenario um, in which we would have to use, quote, a race card. Uh, and so for myself, I get frustrated when I hear stuff like that. Um, I have literally left a job over um, racist things that were happening or am like not wanting to have to be the fixer here as well. Mm. Um, I think a lot of black folks in their jobs right now have um, become like the de facto diversity and inclusion departments. And it's like, listen, I'm not a diversity and inclusion expert. I'm just black. Right. Nice. And uh, <laughs> a friend of mine, a, a friend of mine who's a wedding planner, she um, was, she's a black woman in New York city. Um, her name's uh, Fallon Carter. She's a fantastic wedding planner and event planner. But she was saying, you know, in a, in an, um, in an event, like they were started to ask all these questions. She was like, listen, I'm not a diversity and inclusion expert. I didn't study that. I don't do that work. I'm a wedding planner. And mm. I think the same thing happens with people in every different facet of, of the world where white folks expect black people to do the work of ending racism, but that's not the work of black people, right? The, black people didn't create racism. Black people don't perpetuate racism. Black people are the victims of racism. And in no other situation do you go to the victims and tell them like, mm. hey, how could we not continue to victimize you, right? Like that, that's not our work. It's so interesting you say that because I have always said that I and I, I, I think it was actually you, one of your posts and another friend of mine's post uh, that were black. And it was like maybe a few days after uh, the protest started. And um, I think we were talking about that where we were trying to figure out and it was sort of like an on the air learning experiment of like whose job is it to educate who? Because I've always said that I would rather you come to me and ask me a question than you just go on ignorant, not knowing, and assuming mm -hmm. something about black or gay people. So I'd rather be a, a resource for you. And then when I saw some posts about like, well, it's not my job to teach you. And I was like, oh my God, have I been doing this wrong? And so I'm still kind of like on the fence about, Sure. How do you like it? How do you help some people understand and empathize a little bit well, more? And I, if I can jump in, I feel like there's a difference because we had a whole podcast about this, remember? Mm -hmm. And so it can be really confusing if you, for example, are a white person or really any person um, that's not black who's trying to understand or or learn more or dig in, and like you're doing your own research and you're digging in, but then. I would say it probably helps to at least get an a uh, firsthand experience about what you're ex what you're experiencing. Mm -hmm. So like for example Miguel, I might be digging into documentaries or doing some reading or ordering books for my kid, whatever. And I'm learning on that aspect, but then I'm like but I would like a firsthand opinion. Mm. So I think it's different for you gotcha. and me maybe too where I'm like, can you help me understand it from your perspective? And obviously if you say no, that's cool, but instead of being like, okay, 
sit down and right. tell me about <laughs> slavery. Right. And where I'm like, that's that's not what I'm asking you. So right. it's like I almost feel like it's more of a uh, like you kind of have to fine tune and filter through what people are coming to, coming to you for because it's like I would like to hear your experience, but I'm also not putting the the hat of okay, well, can you explain black people for me? Just right. to go. <laughs> Like, I don't. She's like, what exactly is black people? Right. <laughs> what can is you, a black? Can you tell me about <laughs> right. the blacks and right. go? So it's it's well, it's a really tricky situation right now. Well, Holly, I think you, I, I I think there's an added layer here for people like yourself and myself and Miguel. Like, we are folks who are in media, and like, if there is something that is of interest to us, oftentimes we will call up said person and say like. Hey, do you want to come on and talk about X issue, right? Mm-hmm. And, but most people don't do that. Most people will like Google or YouTube or something like that to kind of find more information or read a book or a podcast or whatever. Mm. Um, and I and Miguel to Miguel's initial question here, I would say that uh, very similarly, I've always said to people like, I know that you feel like you you might be asking a stupid question about whatever, but I would rather you ask me a you know quote unquote stupid question than to walk around with some really screwed up ideas about something. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always said that there are two kinds of, of people uh, in in marginalized communities, black folks, when black communities or LGBTQIA communities or whatever. Um, and those two kinds of people are people who will say, "Come ask me the question. I'd rather have you ask me." Or the other kind of person is the, it's not my job to educate you person. And Mm. both of those people are right, Mm. right? So both of those people have a right to feel that way. For people that say it's not my job to educate you, like that perspective comes from this feeling of like, it's not my job to live a life experiencing trauma, you know, being battered down, being mistreated, being degraded, being denied, being, you know, you know, torn apart every single day and then having to go home and live in that stress and, you know, pay for my therapy or, you know, uh, go through whatever traumas are associated with with racism um, and then go and relive that for you to unpack it for you so that you can understand it. Right. Right. Mm. Right. Um, And oftentimes doing that for free. Right. Mm. And like the rich, this this country has a rich history of, of white people asking black people to do work for free. Different conversation. Um, <laughs> but like we but so for the people that say it's not my job to educate you, that is the perspective uh, of that 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 viewpoint. And like it makes perfect sense. And it is completely right. On the other end of the spectrum is someone like Miguel was saying, um, you know, I'd rather you ask me the question. And so I feel like when white folks go to black folks to ask these kinds of questions, you have to go in ready for that person to say, like, you know, I'm not really interested in having that conversation with you. And I think sometimes black folks feel obligated to have the conversation because you've asked Mm. and don't have the language for I don't want to have this conversation with you. Mm. And so if you are a white person, Holly, you, but not, not you specifically but the universal you, if you are going to a black person to ask them questions about their experience um, for the sake of your knowledge, A, go in knowing that you are asking someone to unpack their trauma, you know, right there in front of you. Right. And B, offer in that moment, like, I I would completely understand if it's not something you want to talk about right now or ever. Mm. Um, But if you are open to it, I would, I would, you know, really appreciate being able to understand where you're coming from. Um, It's a difficult, sensitive thing. And I will say a lot of black folks that I know have been really hardened by this last month um, between Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and uh, Amy Cooper in the park with Christian Cooper and all of these things kind of happening back to back to back. There's definitely been a hardening of like, 
uh, any an evaporation of the patient, if you will. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so what about from you and what you've experienced? When it comes to race in the gay community, mm. um, I was just talking to my roommate, who is a white gay man, um, who's single, and I was like, "Have you seen anyone recently on Grinder do the no blacks, no fats, no fems, no Asians?" Oh my gosh, so many rules, right? And that's the stuff that you would see all the time here in Tampa. I don't know if you mm-hmm. see it that much out there in LA. But, you know, I've been in a relationship now for two and a half years. But I remember before I met wow, my boyfriend. Rub it in our face, Miguel. We I, I literally God. thought that. I'm like, oh, he had to put that in. <laughs> I've been in a relationship for two years, so. Mm. Holly, how do you put up with it? I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, we try to pop his head on the way out the door. It's fine. Jesus. Fine. Sorry, you were saying you were in love. I love it. <laughs> Well, well, the, well. The reason why I I did say the years is because I do remember there were like two different guys right before I met my boyfriend that I was just shocked at how in they went and how they doubled down when they were like no fats, no blacks, no femmes, no Asians, and then it was like, and if you think that I'm racist, then block me now. And I was like, oh man, he's really doubling down on this. Double down, seriously. So what have you experienced, if anything, and how do you feel about, you know, the the relationship with the black community and the mainstream, quote unquote, LGBTQ community? Well, first of all, when I see profiles like that one that you're talking about specifically, my my first instinct is, wow, what a sweetheart. (laughs) I am sure someone is eager to to find love with you. Yes. Um, I will say that, uh, let's see. I moved to Tampa in 2015. So this would have been like 2014 or 2013. Um, I was on Match.com and I started to notice that Match.com had where you could check off the race, the races or ethnicities that you were interested in, Mm. which has always been a little weird to me, but sure. Um, And so we, I was going through profiles and like, there were like eight or nine different options that you could choose. It was, you know, Black, white, Asian, South Asian, uh, you know, a, a myriad of different things. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was interesting to me because I would find that so often people would choose multiple, would choose multiple options, including um, other, which is incredibly nonspecific, but they wouldn't choose black. Mm-hmm. And it would be like, you went down and checked all of these boxes <laughs> and saw black and skipped over it. And what you is other? I mean? And that was. That and what is other, right? And so, I like, the, only, the one that they did as much as as uh, that was South Asian. And so, like, the journalist in me was like, "This is interesting." And so, I went through a hundred profiles and saw like which ones did they choose and which ones did they not. And like, statistically speaking, they had chosen the the lowest two that were chosen were black and South Asian. And it was so interesting to me because South Asian folks tend to be darker skinned uh, Asian folks. And I, I just found that interesting. And I thought it was so telling mm. that in like the gay community, a community of people who have been marginalized and, you know, oppressed and, you know, broken down and all these different things, like we still find a way to, to segregate ourselves within that community. And I think that it was, it was indicative of like something that's more pervasive across, you know, everywhere because like we see anti-blackness everywhere and anti-blackness is not exclusive to white people, right? Like mm. if you have grown up in America, you have been trained how to be anti-black. 
You have been trained how to think that black people are lazy, are angry, are violent, are criminal, um, and undeserving, that we are monolithic, that we all believe the same thing. We are black voters. We are black shoppers, as if that is a thing that is one thing, right? Um, And I always always identify that in politics because, like, we often hear um, strategists and analysts talk about black voters as if, like, but we— we don't hear that so much with white voters. We hear it more and more now because like people like to distinguish, but like for years, the black vote has been mm. a thing as if like, yeah. well, all black people believe in X, right? All black people have the same ideas about finances. All black people have the same dream. Right. All black, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so like, there's this idea of our monolithic nest, which is a word for the sake of this conversation. Um, and the ways that we are just like one thing. And I think we see that pop up in, the gay community when we are looking at the ways that people um, are just not interested in blackness. That's an anti-black kind of perspective and anti-blackness is everywhere. Um, and, and when we go into these clubs, like I live here in Los Angeles and we have West Hollywood, which is like Gayville. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to me that there's not a black owned club. There's not a club that like focuses on blackness. There's just like one of the clubs has a black night on Sunday. One of them has one on Saturday and like mm-hmm. we're supposed to feel at home. Right. Right. And I don't think white white gay people think about that. White gay people um, were leading the charge for marriage as if marriage was the the only thing that we needed. Right. But as a a black person who was also gay, the issues of being black that are stacked so high, plus the issues that are gay Mm. are honest. Right. And so we have to we have to always remind people that, like, yes, being black and being gay is a unique thing. I always tell people I am black. I am gay. I am black and gay like black and gay together make mm. something different. And that racism is a different thing. Right. Wow. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> this is why I say you check off everything that I'm like, that's exactly what I, I thought. Like, okay, well now I have my speaking points. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, well, you know, cause I, I was just thinking this the other weekend and there are um, a few, a lot of like, what I call some of them like the Tampa gays that I follow on Instagram and social media. And they're the people that like before the pandemic, I would see out in Ebor or whenever they made their way over to St. Pete, Ebor. And what I'm noticing is one, I haven't seen a lot of them post about Black Lives Matter or anything, but I will say that people do things differently. Maybe they're donating or maybe they're going to protest. I don't know. Um, But then also when I'm looking at, who's at the parties that they're at and like who's on a, a trip that they're going on or a boat or a beach day or whatever. It's like literally everyone looks exactly the same. Yes. And then I was like, okay, well let me take, let me do a self self audit of myself before I'm trying to be like, okay, people, what are you doing? And I'm like, in my group of friends, you're going to find big people, small people, black, uh, Colombian, uh, younger, older, you're going to find a little bit of everything. And that's how I've always loved it because I feel like having people from different backgrounds, it just makes it beautiful. So when I see these pictures and videos of them hanging out and it's like every one of them looks like they could be splashed on a American Eagle shopping bag, you know, with their shirts off on the beach. Would you consider that racist or just they haven't taken the time to really get to know anyone or anything else outside of what is in their comfort zone? Well, I, I would say whenever I see uh, 
a brand, like you mentioned, American Eagle, right? Mm-hmm. Whenever I look at a brand, um, I immediately, I, when I see them on Instagram or something, I immediately go look at their profile. And I will instantly scroll through their profile to see how long it takes to find a person of color, mm-hmm. right? How long it finds to find a black person, right? Because we use black and, and POC uh, or BIPOC interchangeably. Um, but like black is a distinct thing. And I will scroll through and see how long it takes to find a black person. And I do the same thing with people. Like it's interesting to me when you scroll through someone's profile and there's no black people, but there's like tons of photos of, with their, all their friends and they're out at parties and they're doing all kinds of different things, but, <clears throat> but you can't find a black person. And that to me is always a, a first indicator of like, hmm, okay, so I know what it would be like to either be friends with this person mm. or to date this person or to work with this person. Like, oh, I'm going to be the black guy in your life, right? Mm. And like, there's something about that that is inherently exhausting, especially if it's a person that, you know, you're considering for dating, whether they are black or if they are a white person or if they are Latino or whatever. I. I have been in so many spaces where I am the black person and I have to come in with the black perspective because it's one thing. Um, And I have to represent black people, Mm -hmm. something else white people never have to do. Right. Um, It's come in and be representative of the entire community. And so when I see something like that, where you, you see a, a, a white person who has not said anything about black lives matter in this moment, who has, you know, not really ever, uh, been outspoken about other marginalized communities. It's something that really sticks with me. And I, and I feel like it tells me immediately who you are and, and, and what your day to day looks like. But does it, but does it, can I, can I, can you guys hold for one second? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Hold on. Yeah, I forget, like, we're in a studio comfortable just sitting here just talking, and they're Hang like, up. wait, I'm trying to live my life. Yeah. And it's, like, early in the morning over there in uh, L.A. Yeah. Uh, but I find this all so fascinating because especially when it comes to race in the uh, LGBTQ community, um, that it's not talked about a lot. Yeah. And so it's so interesting to get sort of, like, a, a different perspective from it. Okay. Um, so if— I'm listening to this and I'm one of those people that I'm like, okay, hold on. Let me go through my Instagram real quick. Let me do a little self audit. And you're like, holy crap. It's me and 10 of my white friends on our white boat and our white sandy beaches <laughs> and our white house. Like, holy crap, we need to diversify. Is it pandering then for them to sort of. I was going to say, because you know what I feel like a lot of those types of people would do would be like, well, let's just go find a black. Right. Oh, man. Right. No, don't right. do that. But like, then at the same time. But how, how do you do it? Right. Because I want this to be a resource. I don't want to just shut people down. Right. Because I wanna... then people get defensive. Right. And, yes. Well, they're like, well, this that's who I'm comfortable with. Maybe that's who I went to college with and my all my friends just happen to be white. I'm not racist. I love black people. But how do I get black friends? Well, and I, I think it's a, a scenario where a couple of things come into play, right? So there's a, an anti-racist uh, researcher who does a lot of this work named Jane Elliott, and I'm sure people have seen plenty of videos of her floating around right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and like she says, if you are a white person who is not racist or anti-black, you are a miracle. 
And she goes on to say that, like, white people, like, the worst thing you can say to a white person is that they're racist, right? Like, mm. it is the most offensive, egregious thing that you can say or do. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, in, in this country, like, we have, like, systematically erased black history out of American history. And, you know, we have <laughs> systematically, like, you know, uh, you know, completely whitewashed Christianity and made Jesus a white man. We have systematically, like, you know, just, like, completely, completely taken away all of the credit that uh, for black folks of, of what we've done in this country, all of the, you know, the, the rich history that black folks have with this country. And so, like, the, I, and then we've also countered that with, you know, disturbing images of black people as, you know, lazy, as, you know, absorbing welfare and needing affirmative action and wanting, you know, a, a handout and um, as being violent and criminals and, you know, we see in healthcare that 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 uh, that you know physicians see black folks as having a higher threshold for pain, needing less attention when they go to the doctor, and you know what I mean. Like there are all kinds of ways that that anti-blackness shows up. And so when when white people say, "Well, I'm not racist," it's like I understand what you think you're saying is that you're one of the good ones, but like when you say I'm not racist, it really just kind of ignores like the reality of everything that that goes on around us, like. I, or and I wrote a piece in, at, on NBC News um, that talks about like the idea when white people say like oh I don't see color and it's like that sounds to me like you just don't see me as a human being right mm-hmm. because when I walk down the street when when a black person walks down the street and you know a a a, a white woman clutches their purse a little bit closer like so what was that about like you didn't see color but you saw that person right mm-hmm. or or when you were going into a job interview and you're looking at the names of the people that are coming in to, to meet with you. Like you don't see color, but you looked over that resume and put it to the side because the person's name was Keisha or, you know, Dante or whatever. Like the ways that we look at those different things, like those are all anti-blackness and anti-blackness shows up in every facet of life every single day. Mm. Well, thank you so much for providing some interesting uh, insights that, I just my mind doesn't go. And as I'm listening to you talk about the experiences that you've had, to me, it's just so fascinating because it's so different than what I've experienced. So thank you so much for taking the time. I know I told you it was only like 20 minutes, but um, I think what you said was uh, a lot of people hopefully can can get some knowledge from this and a new perspective. Right. And have listened and heard. Right. We had a caller the other day that didn't want to, wanted to ask questions, but didn't want to hear the answers. And so that was difficult. Mm. Uh, um, yeah. But I'm hoping that the majority of people who listen to this will have just listened. Right. Absorbed, you know. Absolutely. I, that's my fondest wish. So hopefully that happens. Well, I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to meet your audience and for your audience to meet me. I, I appreciate you guys uh, bringing me on. So thank you for that. Absolutely. How can people find your social media and your excellent podcast? Yes, you can find me everywhere at Jarrett Hill. Jarrett is two R's and two T's. Um, and you can find Fanti. We have a new episode that actually just dropped uh, this morning. Uh, Fanti is S-A-N-T-I. And uh, you can find that wherever you get your podcast. And uh, JarrettHill.com is my website. Awesome. Jarrett, thank you so much. We appreciate it. And we'll be looking for you on uh, Instagram. Thank you. I felt so bad. I know he's like so busy and I was like been trying to get him on but wanting to find like the right topic to talk about. Uh, so you were like, let's just talk about all of it. Right. I was like, let's just, let's come on, girl. I, you got a, a mind that has a lot of stuff up there. Let's talk about it. Yeah. 
Uh, Holly, what's your social media? Radio Holly on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, and Holly on Hot 101.5 on Facebook. Scott? At Scott Tavlin, S-C-O-T-T-T-A-V-L-I-N on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Scott, you were silent. Were you just taking it all in? Oh, yeah, taking it all in. I have nothing to say. Like, in those moments, I just like to listen and mm. really listen intently because, again, this everything that's happening right now, like, it's stuff that I've just never experienced. And so every time I hear a new story or a new situation, I'm like, all right, let me take that in. And actually, you know, because now I have more things to focus on and more things to, you know, hopefully help make a change. If you want uh, Miguel and Holly pride stickers or regular sticker, just send me an email, Miguel, M-I-G-U-E-L, at Hot1015TampaBay.com. You can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, Facebook, Miguel Fuller. And please leave us a nice rating and review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen on Spotify, the Hot1015 app. And you can even tell Alexa to pull us up. <laughs> hey, Alexa! Play Miguel and Holly Uncensored. And she's like, I got you, homegirl. So pull us up. Yeah. Bye. Catch up on previous episodes of Miguel and Holly Uncensored now on the Hot 101.5 app or on iTunes on your smartphone. It's Miguel and Holly Uncensored. Quarantine edition from Hot 101.5. Made hot by Corona Beer.